Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Personal Faith and Prophetic Destinies. This morning we will be continuing in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and we will be looking at how a person's personal faith is directly related to apprehending their promised prophetic destinies. Our Heavenly Father is always faithful to speak to his kids regarding what he has already provided for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is the voice of the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit regarding the truths of both God's written and God's spoken word. It is the convincing power of the Holy Spirit that helps us to see and hear and accept what our Father is revealing to us. And as he reveals his truth to us, faith rises in our hearts to empower us to act in agreement with that truth. A good example of this is in the story of Abraham and Sarah. God told them that he had given, past tense, them a son, even though it would not show up for about a year. <laughs> now, what God had already provided in the spiritual realm, their son, could only be apprehended and brought into the natural realm if Abraham and Sarah acted in faith on what God had told them. This meant that they would have to participate in physical intimacy in order for the baby to come into the natural realm. So the baby wasn't the actual miracle. The renewing of their physical youth was the actual miracle. The baby came naturally. <laughs> but God had renewed their youth so that they could naturally bring forth the child. So with their youth miraculously and physically renewed, they could produce a child naturally in their old age. My point is that their faith in what God had promised to them and their faith in what God had named them enabled them or empowered them to cooperate with God, which then enabled them to receive into the physical realm what God had already provided in the spiritual realm. In other words, their personal faith in God, which was produced by the spoken word of God to them, empowered them to step into their prophetic destinies as a father and mother of a multitude of descendants, all beginning with one little baby. <laughs> now, when I say personal faith, I'm referring to the faith in our hearts that what is produced by God. Faith is produced in our heart when God, we hear God and we acknowledge God. He's the one that persuades our hearts to see the things the way he sees them. God even showed up for dinner one day with Abraham and Sarah in physical form, specifically so Sarah could hear God for herself that she was going to have a baby. 25 years earlier, God had told Abraham, you're going to have a baby. And when it didn't come in what they thought would be an appropriate amount of time, they decided to help God. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and they didn't get the promised child, but they did have a child. And so God had to tell Abraham, no, it isn't just you having a baby. You and Sarah are going to have a baby. And he couldn't tell just Abraham. He had to tell Sarah too. Because it's us hearing God for ourselves that the Holy Spirit bears witness with. 
it isn't somebody else telling you <laughs> that necessarily bears witness with our spirit. We have to have that confirming nudge in our spirit to know, yeah, this is truth. This is what God is showing me. And God persuades us to believe and to receive what he has for us. So we are going to then now continue on to our next hero of faith. Originally, I was going to try to get three of them all done in one, and I quickly found out that was not going to happen. <laughs> so we're going to do one. <laughs> Our next hero of faith, in his life, we see that his personal faith empowering him to make the right decisions at the right time so that he would continue to step into his prophetic destiny. Our next hero of faith is found in verse 20 of Hebrews 11. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. The power of faith prompted Isaac to impart a blessing to his sons, Jacob and Esau, concerning their prophetic destinies. Isaac knew the reality of God because of the family he was born into. He also came to know God personally. Not just uh, you hang around your parents and they know God. <laughs> kind of relationship. He came to know God too. He had a personal relationship with God. He knew the reality. He grew up with the reality. But at some point, that reality had to become his own. And that's what I mean when I talk about his personal faith. It wasn't a general, I believe God exists faith. It was, no, I have a relationship with God, and I hear God, and he talks to me, and I talk to him. <laughs> it's a relationship. That's personal faith. Because he had this ongoing personal relationship with God, he learned that he could trust God to bring the promises made to his family line to completion. And this trust or faith in God prompted Isaac to what? Act in agreement with those promises. We do have to cooperate. <laughs> I know we all like Naaman. You know, we all are really a little bit like Naaman. Just wave your hand over the spot, Jesus. Just wave your hand over the spot. <laughs> I don't want to have to believe. I don't want to have to hear. I don't want to have to spend time with God. I just want you to wave your hand over the spot. God says, no. Co-rule. Co-reign. Co-operate. <laughs> So he wants us to cooperate so that we can step into what he has for us. We know from the story about Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice that Isaac submitted to what his father had said that God had required him to do. But why would he have agreed to that if he didn't also believe that the promises would be fulfilled through himself just as God had said they would? We don't have any narrative that tells us about Isaac's faith at that time, but why would Isaac, as a 33-year-old adult male, which is what the Jewish scholars believe Isaac was, prophetically speaking, <laughs> 33 years old, why would he have submitted to being offered as a sacrifice? He, too, must have been fully convinced that God knew what he was doing. And that if God could restore the youth of his mother and father, who were considered basically as good as dead, <laughs> then God could certainly raise Isaac from the dead as well. So obviously, Isaac had a personal faith in God too. 
Now, the first time we see Isaac expressing his faith as the main character in his own personal story is when God brings him his wife through his father's servant. Abraham wanted his son to have a wife from the same family lineage, so he sent his oldest and most trusted servant to find a wife for Isaac. And God supernaturally led Abraham's servant to the right woman at the right place and at the right time. And she agreed to become Isaac's wife. So the servant packs up Rebekah and all of her stuff and all of her maidservants, and they travel back to Isaac. And when they arrive, this is what they find. Genesis 24, verses 62 through 67. And Isaac came from the way of the well, la-a-i-ro-i. I don't speak Hebrew. <laughs> For he dwelt in the south country. That's the well that Hagar had named. It was the well of the living one who sees me. And I think this detail may have been included so that the readers would see how the God who sees me can also be seen, especially in his orchestration of events on our behalf. 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at evening tide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. The word meditate here includes the idea of prayer and contemplation and musing. No doubt he was probably praying about his soon-to-arrive wife, <laughs> hoping she's a good one. <laughs> when suddenly, there she was. Also, the phrase lifted up his eyes also carries the connotation of one's eyes being lifted up to God. It wasn't about Isaac looking for Rebekah or in Rebekah's direction, but it was about Isaac looking in God's direction. 64. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. Rebekah had heard from Abraham's servant of the miraculous way that God had made his choice for Isaac's wife so apparent. So she was probably looking unto Yahweh too. <laughs> the God who brought me to where I am. <laughs> you sure you know what you're doing here? <laughs> 65. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. It was her wedding veil. She knew what she was there for. She came prepared. <laughs> According to one commentator I read, these veils were long enough to wrap around her completely, and they were red. They were red. The normal veils that they normally would have worn would have been either white or blue. So when she dons her red veil and wraps herself in it, she is distinguishing herself from all the other maids that have come with her. I'm the bride. <laughs> I am different. <laughs> this is who you're looking for. <laughs> Personally, I just like the picture painted for us. We know that Isaac was already presented as a type of Christ in Abraham's test of faith. But here, Isaac's bride is a type of the church, wrapped entirely in red thus signifying the blood of the Lamb.
good picture. <laughs> 66. And the servant told Isaac all that he had done. So Isaac also got to hear how God had miraculously orchestrated everything and revealed that Rebekah was the one that God had chosen for him. 67. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after the death of his mother. What I want you to see in this story is the personal relationship Isaac had with God. Isaac had even trusted God to bring him a wife of his own choosing, sight unseen. <laughs> what are you going to do when she shows up? She goes, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> he trusted God. Now, a spouse, sight unseen, without any previous approval, that's a lot of faith. <laughs> that's a lot of trust. He trusted God. He trusted God to let his father put him on an altar, and then he trusted God to bring him the right person into his life. God's choice. His story is really, really big, but what Hebrew specifically mentions in 1120 is the power of faith prompted Isaac to impart the blessing to his son, Jacob and Esau, concerning their prophetic destinies. Because he had this kind of relationship, because he knew God was the great orchestrator, because he knew God could save him physically and emotionally. He was drowning in sorrow from the passing of his mother, and God brought him comfort through a spouse. So it is this seeing how God so involves himself in everything in Isaac's life. Most of the commentators I read said, Abraham was great, and Jacob became great. Isaac, eh. <laughs> They don't see him as a man of great faith. But yet the author of Hebrews says, by faith, Isaac did all the things that he did, including speaking into his children's prophetic destinies, all by this trust, this personal relationship, and this cooperating with God and his choices. Now we can see what God prophesied regarding Isaac's sons. When Rebecca sought the Lord regarding exactly what was going on in her womb, <laughs> Rebecca had, had been barren, and Isaac specifically sought the Lord on her behalf. And she conceived in answer to his prayer. See, he gets God involved in everything. So she obviously attributed her pregnancy to the Lord. But not knowing exactly what was going on inside of her, she inquired of the Lord herself. And the Lord's response to her is found in Genesis 25, verses 23 and 24. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were complete, behold, there were twins in her womb. They didn't have ultrasounds. <laughs> they couldn't see how many babies were in there. <laughs> so when God tells her, you're having two babies, I'm pretty sure she went right back to Isaac and said, oh, by the way, you are doubly blessed because I'm having two babies. <laughs> and they're boys. <laughs> and they're going to both become great nations. <laughs> what God told her basically is that these children were fighting for space within her womb. 
which would simply really be an indication of how their whole relationship would be the rest of their lives. <laughs> but when she gave birth to twins, she saw that God was right. She saw that she heard God correctly. And this too would have strengthened Rebecca's faith in what God had said to her. So it wasn't just about twins, it's about who's going to rule and reign. When we see God to bring to pass what he says to us in one area, <laughs> it helps us a lot, <laughs> especially if we're waiting on something in a different area. God is faithful. He always takes care of us. He always makes a way, even if we can't see a way. When we see God answer a prayer or hear a good praise report, we see that God's working in other people's lives, it strengthens our faith to believe God for our destinies as well. Now again, we don't have any narrative. We don't have any narrative that tells us that Rebecca told Isaac what God had said to her. But I think it's a pretty safe bet. Because <laughs> she's going to look pretty good if she's having twins. <laughs> and the truth is, Isaac probably didn't care for the idea of the older serving the younger. Because that just wasn't the way things were done back then. But the fact that Rebecca gave birth to twins just the way God said she would may have made him think twice, at least initially. <laughs> but as the twins grew into adults, each parent began to favor the child most like themselves. Not a good idea. Isaac favored Esau and Rebecca favored Jacob. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, a famine happens. <laughs> And Isaac is tempted to take his family down to Egypt, just as Abraham had done. But God stopped him and told him that he needed to stay in Canaan, the promised land, if he wanted to apprehend the blessings promised to Abraham. In other words, Isaac needed to cooperate with God in order to obtain the promises. You got to cooperate if you want to co-rule and co-reign. And we can see this in Genesis 26, verses 1 through 6. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, the land of promise, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all of these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all of these lands. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed, intelligently listened to my voice and kept my charge, commandments, statutes, and laws. He's saying that this is all going to come to pass because of what he instituted with Abraham. The promise was first given. Now it's being handed off to the second generation, to Isaac himself. When I was taught what obedience was, it was, you do what I say or else. That's not what God's interested in. Whenever you see the word obey in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, it means to listen attentively or intelligently. Now, if I'm listening intelligently, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to say, oh, Holy Spirit, <laughs> what's true? What's right? What are you saying? What are you revealing to me? That's all obedience is, faith that we can see. 
When we act on what God tells us, that's faith that you can see. That's all. God is not a, a tyrant demanding obedience from us. He enables us to hear him, whereby we are persuaded, whereby we can then step out and do what he's given us to do. Also, it says, <laughs> this is kind of strange, <laughs> because there was no laws for Abraham, but it says, because Abraham obeyed or listened intelligently to my voice and kept my charge, commandments, statutes, and laws, that these promises are going to come true. We don't have to get worried about this. <laughs> this is just him saying Abraham did what God wanted him to do, what God enabled him by faith to do. Faith comes from God. And when our faith rises up, we can do. It's always been God's plan. <laughs> it's never been about do, do, do so that I will like you. No, he already likes us. <laughs> so don't let that throw you. <laughs> Abraham believed God. Abraham acted in faith on what God told him to do. In other words, Abraham was a smart man. <laughs> now, Isaac was to do the same thing. He was to stay where God told him to stay and to do what God told him to do. So God reminds Isaac of the reality of the blessing of Abraham. And because Isaac knows and trusts God from his personal experience with him, Isaac decides to do what God wants him to do. In other words, he's choosing to be a smart man too. Now, this is one of those moments where Isaac's faith in God enabled him to make the right decision, which in the natural didn't look like the right decision. <laughs> but God had made it plain. If Isaac wanted to live in the power of God's blessing and manifest that blessing, then he needed to co operate with God and do what God told him to do, which was to stay in the land of promise. So Isaac chooses to stay in Gerar in Canaan and trust God to provide for him and his family. Instead of going to Egypt out of fear, he chose to stay in the promised land by faith. And then Isaac does something that nobody in their right mind would do. Isaac sows seed in a time of famine. You know, when there's no rain, <laughs> he's planting crops. <laughs> They're in the middle of a famine. Everybody's going to go to Egypt to get food, and God says, no, stay right here. I know it's a famine. Stay here. So he does what God told him to do, and he does it by faith. And then he miraculously reaps a hundred times more than what was sown. That's the largest recorded sowing <laughs> and reaping in the whole Bible. He sowed in famine and reaped miraculously a hundred times more than he could have ever expected. In other words, he did what God told him to do so that the power of the blessing would be made manifest through his prosperity. God likes us to be prosperous. Why? It makes him look good. <laughs> because he is good. He wants to supply all of our needs. He has already done that in the Spirit. It's for us to believe him, trust him, and act on what he tells us to do so that we can reap the blessing that he has already given to us. Because 
Isaac believed what God had told him. His faith arose in his heart, empowering him to listen intelligently. This is important. <laughs> Listening intelligently to God. <laughs> and so he did what God wanted him to do. And this is exactly what God was trying to get him to see, that God would manifest the blessing through his prosperity in a time when nobody else was prosperous. And it was because he trusted God, he listened intelligently, and he did what God told him to do. Isaac was so prosperous that the king and the inhabitants of the land where he was living asked him to take all of his flocks and herds and slaves and leave. <laughs> you know the Abraham and Lot story? Their flocks were so huge, everyone was so abundantly blessed, the land couldn't support. Okay, that's what was going on. They're like, you have way too much blessing here. You get your stuff out of here. <laughs> and so for the sake of peace, he does. He leaves. He ends up in a place called Beersheba, which is still in Canaan, the promised land. But shortly after he moves there, the same king that asked him to leave, Gerar, comes to make peace with him. Because the king has a revelation that Yahweh God is with him to bless him and prosper him and keep him. <laughs> and he wanted to be on the blessed side of Yahweh instead of on the wrong side of Yahweh. Go kicking Yahweh's people out of your land. Yahweh God might not be happy with that. <laughs> so he comes to, uh, to Isaac and says, why don't we make a covenant of peace? In other words, I want to get in on the blessing. <laughs> Which was perfectly okay with God. <laughs> and then later, when Isaac is about 100 years old, he fears that he's on the verge of death. So he calls for his eldest son so that he can pass the blessing on to the firstborn. And this is where all the shenanigans begin. <laughs> Rebecca overhears Isaac talking to Esau about receiving the firstborn blessing, which would make Esau the primary inheritor and the ruler over all of Isaac's household and possessions. Now, from what we know from what God had told Rebecca while she was still pregnant, that God's will was that the younger should rule over the older. And God had made it plain that he had chosen Jacob's lineage to bring forth the promised seed. But Isaac didn't like this. Even though we don't have any narrative, again, between Rebekah and Isaac regarding the truth, I bet Rebekah would have shared what God had told her with her husband at least a half a dozen times over the years. <laughs> you know what God told me. <laughs> God told me, my favorite son is going to rule and reign. Uh-uh, my favorite son's going to rule and reign. <laughs> Nobody here was interested at all in what God had said. They were interested in what they wanted instead of what God had said was his will. Now, because Isaac had favored Esau when he was growing up, Rebecca must have reminded him of what God had told her. But his heart was already set on Esau. He was no longer listening intelligently. He was listening emotionally. He wanted what he wanted. He had stopped listening intelligently to what God had revealed to them. 
So even though he knew it was God's will, <laughs> he could just look at Rebecca and say, no, that's just her will. See, that's what she wants. In our traditions and culture, it's always the firstborn who gets the blessing. So he could dismiss hearing what God said by assuming that's just Rebecca. <laughs> I don't have to listen to that. <laughs> and this reminds me of when God had spoken to me during a chapel time when Mark and I were going to Karis Bible College. I was blue. <laughs> God told me he wanted us to plan a church in connection with the school in Kenosha. And I was like, what? <laughs> How exactly am I supposed to do that? <laughs> Have you told Mark? <laughs> Have you told the people who run the school? <laughs> what are you up to? <laughs> so I meditated on it for a while. Okay, God, how do I go about this? Uh, Mark hasn't said anything. <laughs> and so I, one day, just around the house, I went to open the refrigerator and I said, Oh, by the way, honey, God wants us to plan us a church in Kenosha. And I went back to doing what I was doing. And Mark says, uh, He didn't tell me that. <laughs> uh oh. Well, just so you know, <laughs> God told me that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you what I know. What you do with it is up to you. <laughs> and I left it up to God to persuade Mark and the people operating the school. And when we finally went to them, they're like, oh yeah, we knew this from day one. <laughs> Prophetic destiny. We didn't even know. We had the people in our school going, we got eyes on you. We know. We know. <laughs> Okay, well, we finally found out, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> so, Rebecca should have probably just left it alone. <laughs> but she kind of helped God, too, the same way Sarah had helped with Abraham. <laughs> I'll give you my maid. This will make the promise come to pass. <laughs> she should have learned. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> But instead of waiting for God to somehow cause him to hear, she decides to make the promise come to pass in her own strength. And probably she just justified her actions, which were deceptive, as being in cooperation with God's will. <laughs> I'm only helping God do what God wants. <laughs> but are you really? <laughs> Rebecca was not operating in faith. She was operating in flesh. She was justifying doing the wrong thing for the right reason. You never see that with God. Now, God will use our mess. <laughs> but there are consequences. What she ends up doing causes her to lose her son forever. She ends up sending him away. We'll get to that here quickly. Thinking that he'll come back shortly. But she dies before he ever comes home again. There are consequences to our flesh. It's not punishment from God. They're just consequences of our actions. So, 
This is where we pick up the story in Genesis 27, beginning with verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Listen intelligently. He's listening to the wrong voice. Obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. <laughs> Perhaps my father will feel me, <laughs> and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. You want to go, you think? <laughs> Neither Jacob nor Rebekah seem to care that what they're doing was wrong. Their actions were not based on faith in God's word. Their actions were based on their fear of losing out. And Jacob's only concern seemed to be about getting caught by his father, not that he was doing something that was dishonorable. He doesn't seem to care that he's betraying his own father's trust. Verse 13, his mother said to him, Let your curse be upon me, my son. Obey my voice, listen intelligently to my voice, not God's, <laughs> and go and bring them to me. So Jacob did as his mother had instructed him to do. And when he returned, Rebekah provided him with his brother's clothes too. Yeah, there you go. You're going to play this role. You might as well smell like it. <laughs> and then she covered his hands and neck with hairy skin from the goats so that he would feel like Esau. And when the meat was fully prepared, she sent him into his father to receive the blessing. But Isaac was suspicious. Isaac couldn't see Jacob because his eyesight had failed. But Jacob still sounds like Jacob. <laughs> Even though he feels and smells like Esau. <laughs> so his father asked him plainly, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob lies straight to his face and says, I am. And it worked. Isaac bought the whole ruse. And Jacob successfully lied his way into receiving the blessing from his father. In essence, taking by force and flesh what God wanted to give him by grace through faith. And so Isaac pronounces the blessing over Jacob. We can see this in verses 28 and 29. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And then Jacob, of course, leaves Isaac's presence as fast as he politely can, <laughs> hoping not to get caught red-handed by his brother. <laughs> but in the meantime, Isaac is completely satisfied 
that he has successfully gotten his own way. He just blessed the firstborn. And he's fully persuaded that he has justly prophesied the correct destiny over the correct son. He's probably very proud of himself. <laughs> and Rebecca, simultaneously, is also fully persuaded that Isaac has just prophesied the correct destiny over the correct son. But shortly thereafter, Esau comes to present his food to his father and to receive the firstborn blessing. Continuing in verse 32. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? <laughs> he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently, very violently, and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him! I have blessed him! <laughs> Isaac instantly knew that he had blessed Jacob instead of Esau and that there was no way to undo it. You can't unspeak it. <laughs> and he said, yes, he shall be blessed. But he wasn't happy about it. <laughs> Isaac knows the blessing is irrevocable. Once the blessing is spoken through faith-filled words, and Isaac had faith, boy, he's blessing the right son. <laughs> he's getting his own way. <laughs> he had faith. He's thinking this is a finished work. It can't be undone. This is great. <laughs> Isaac knew that once God has blessed someone, they are forever blessed. That's us. We can't be unblessed. The blessing was never Isaac's to give away as he pleased. He thought it was. <laughs> but it's God's blessing. <laughs> God goes with the blessing. That's the whole point. <laughs> God is the blessing. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, oh, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully. That was the, what is he doing? Whose fault is this? <laughs> your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Now, the first half of that sentence is true. But the second half is not. The blessing never belonged to Esau. It was always Jacob's, according to God. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Again, Esau is blaming everybody but himself. Esau sold his birthright for stew because he had no value placed on the blessing of his birthright. Jacob didn't steal anything. Esau is just complaining because he didn't get his way. <laughs> That's what this is really about. This is not about pleasing God. This is not about hearing what God is saying. This is what I want. I want the firstborn blessing, Dad. <laughs> Dad says, oh, 
Too bad, so sad, that scoundrel of a brother of yours. <laughs> I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> and 37, Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for your servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. He's going to get that blessing one way or another. (laughs) Going to hound it out of dad. (laughs) And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Again, Esau did not care what God wanted. He did not care that God had chosen Jacob to carry on the blessing through the line of Abraham into the future. He only cared about what he wanted for himself. He cried not because he could not be blessed. He cried because he was not blessed first. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, there's the blessing. Away from the fatness of the earth. Think desert. (laughs) shall your dwelling be and away from the dew of heaven which would be water again think desert (laughs) by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother but when you grow restless you shall break his yoke from your neck this prophecy isn't actually about Esau and Jacob it's actually referring to the nations that would come from these two sons Israel and the nation of Edom And the nation of Edom found themselves either under the dominion of Israel or in direct opposition to them for their entire existence. The truth was God had chosen Jacob's lineage to bring forth the nation of Israel and eventually the promised seed. What God had in mind was much bigger than either Esau or Isaac had understood. They were both short-sighted, and they both wanted God to submit to their wills instead of them having to submit themselves to God's will. But Isaac basically concedes in the moment when he realizes what has happened, that, okay, Rebecca was right. (laughs) She might have gotten it right. (laughs) And that Jacob was, in fact, the rightful recipient of the Abrahamic blessing. Isaac, because of his personal faith and relationship with God, chose to willingly submit himself to God's will and to purposely cooperate with God regarding his son's prophetic destinies. Now we can see this in Genesis 28, beginning with verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. He's going to do it right this time, (laughs) knowing who he's blessing. (laughs) Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty. That name's on purpose right here. He's Almighty, Jacob, in case you forgot. (laughs) I don't want you to forget. (laughs) God allowed this nonsense and these shenanigans (laughs) so that Isaac would come to the realization that the blessing belonged to Jacob because God is almighty and he can even turn our messes for blessing. 
God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. So what was so great about Isaac's faith that it could prompt Isaac to prophesy his son's futures in accordance with God's will instead of his own? He had trusted God with his own life when Abraham placed him on an altar of sacrifice. And then as we saw today, he trusted God to bring him his wife, sight unseen. That's a lot of faith. (laughs) That's a lot of trust. But when it came to trusting God with his kids in their futures, well, that's when things got tricky. (laughs) Isaac so loved and favored Esau that he just couldn't believe that what he wanted for his firstborn son wasn't what God wanted for his firstborn son. Isaac just couldn't see what God could see, which was which of the two men would grow into a mighty man of faith and lead his people to become a mighty nation. Only God could see that. Even though Isaac was prophesying it, he was short-sighted too. (laughs) He's thinking, I want you blessed. He's not thinking long-term. But God was. Both of these sons were loved, and both of these sons were blessed. And both of these sons had a destiny that required them to have a personal, ongoing relationship with God that would enable them to trust God to bring forth his blessing in their lives. Now, how does this story relate to our Hebrew baby believers? Did they and their children have a prophetic destiny? And if they did, what would they need in order to step into that destiny. Well, yes, of course, they did have a prophetic destiny. And they may not have been altogether happy about it either, kind of like Isaac. (laughs) Jesus had told his followers about the coming judgment upon Jerusalem and the unbelieving Jews. But he also told them that there would be a way of escape. When they saw Jerusalem surrounded by enemies, then they should make a run for it into the mountains. But where would they get the courage to grab their kids and run into the hills when they're surrounded by enemies? (laughs) From their personal daily relationship with God the Father and God the Son through the Holy Spirit, God would give them courage and strength. He would convince them in their hearts that this is a way of safety. That was never the way of safety when they grew up. Safety was always inside Jerusalem, inside the wall. And Jesus told them, don't do that. Kind of like planting seed when a famine doesn't make any sense. You don't expect it to work. But God had already planned. He said, you have a future. You have a hope. But you have to be convinced in your heart or you will run back into the inside of those walls and you will die there. God sees much farther than we do. So we so often see right here, right now. (laughs) Oh God, can you multiply these two cents? If I put them together, (laughs) can they make babies? (laughs) We see right here, right now, what do I need right here? What do I need right now? And that can 
overtake what we know God has for us. They had to trust God to do something that made no sense to them in order to save themselves and their children's future. So this is one of the things we saw in Isaac's life. He appears to have made a regular habit of spending time with God and listening intelligently to his voice. And the author of Hebrews had scolded the Hebrew baby believers earlier in this letter for not doing that very same thing. They had grown dull of hearing. They were so busy trying to listen to Moses that they stopped listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They didn't lose their salvation, <laughs> but they could lose their life if they didn't listen. They needed to consider that Isaac's continuous relationship with God and consistently listening intelligently to his voice gave Isaac the courage to let his father place him on an altar. That's a lot of faith. He believed in the God of his father. Abraham was sure, but he must have taught that to his son. This is what God wants us to do. And he so trusted his father and the God of his father that he complied and did what God had asked them to do. Now, again, we cannot make faith. You can try really hard. You can memorize scriptures up the wazoo. That won't give you faith. What gives you faith is when the Holy Spirit brings one of those scriptures to your mind. When you're asking God about something and suddenly the answer is right there, faith arises in your heart. Then you have the courage to step out and act on what God is telling you to do because you trust him. Faith is what happens in our heart when God fully persuades our hearts to believe his word to us. Even when we may not like the word he gives us, just like with Isaac regarding the blessing of Esau. God never withholds anything good, but sometimes we want our own way, <laughs> and we want to do it our own way. <laughs> and God says, I need you to listen intelligently. The Hebrew baby believers probably didn't like the idea of having to up and leave their home at a moment's notice in order to save their lives. I'm sure they would rather God just magically make everything peaceful. <laughs> Wave your hand over the spot. <laughs> but that's not what God had told them would happen. They needed to trust that God knew what he was doing. And they needed to cooperate with the safe and prosperous destiny that God had waiting for them. The Hebrew baby believers needed to be encouraged to trust God just like Isaac had. Isaac trusted God with his life when it definitely looked like he would die. And then he trusted God to pick his spouse without ever having seen her. And by faith in God's goodness, God accepted God's choice. Isaac trusted God to bless and take care of his kids and their futures because he knew that God knew what was best for them. Again, both kids were loved, both kids were blessed. And both kids had a good future in front of them. At each juncture in Isaac's life, he had to decide whether or not he was going to cooperate with God by faith or not. And this is exactly what the Hebrew baby believers needed to do. 
They needed to hear God for themselves. They needed to listen intelligently so that God could persuade their hearts that they could fully trust him to take care of them and their kids and their kids' futures. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the stories and the pictures you paint all through the scriptures. We thank you, Father God, that the Hebrew baby believers could remember these stories and they could recognize that, that Isaac had a personal everyday relationship with you. He had learned to listen intelligently to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And for most of his life, he followed that. (laughs) And we thank you, Father God, that just like you turned this situation around for Isaac, you turn our messes around too. We thank you, Father God, that you don't hold our sins and mistakes and failures against us. You want us to learn from whatever we do wrong. You want us to see that we can trust you. We don't have to take things into our own hands and make certain things happen. We have to trust you to bring forth what you said you've already given us. So Father God, I thank you that you do speak to us, that our faith does arise and take hold of the prophetic future that you have for each one of us. You are happy to reveal what's ahead. You are happy to tell us of things to come. And Father God, help us to believe and to receive all that you have said and will say to us. And we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.